Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Nicola Mercer, for our quarterly check-in about the state of the pandemic. This will be the seventh such episode of the podcast that we've dedicated to COVID-19 since, well, right before the start of the pandemic in March 2020. This time, though, might we be able to say that we're close to the end of the pandemic? We're about halfway through fall. We've overcome the big hurdles like back to school and Thanksgiving. And the new daily case count, both in Guelph and across Ontario, remains relatively steady. We're still giving out vaccines, and there are a few thousand eligible people who are left to get their jabs. And then a few weeks ago, we had our first case of the flu for this year. So what are we to make of all of this? Well, Dr. Mercer will tell us this week, because still COVID is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. So we're now more than 19 months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and Guelph has outpaced a lot of communities by reaching nearly 91% total vaccination for people born in 2009 and before. And there are less than three dozen active cases as of last weekend in the whole region. Pretty much all that's left to do now is get the young kids vaccinated, which is something that may actually happen soon. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States authorized the Pfizer vaccine for children between the ages of 5 and 11, which should start a chain of events where other government agencies, like Health Canada, could start to approve it as well. It's definitely another milestone in the pandemic fight, but does it mean that we can start putting an end date on COVID restrictions like the government of Ontario basically already has? The future is what all anybody can think about now in this surprisingly multifaceted phase of the pandemic. Most people are vaccinated, but is it enough to create herd immunity and stop the creation of another COVID strain? We seem to have avoided the worst case scenario for the fall, but is that luck? Or is it the effectiveness of vaccines and other COVID precautions? Will we see cases shoot up again as the holidays approach like they did last year? And what about the kids? How quick can we start getting them vaccinated? And once they're vaccinated, can we lift some of those restrictions in schools so that kids can at least get back to normal? These questions require the expertise of, well, an expert. So let's bring on Dr. Mercer. The Medical Officer of Health joins us on this week's Guelph Politicast to talk about the plan for getting kids vaccinated, how quickly things might happen once vaccines are approved for young people under 12, and the thinking behind the current COVID restrictions in school that came up last week during the Upper Grand District School Board meeting. We will also talk about the lessons learned this fall, why the worst-case scenario of the science table never came to pass, and what precautions people should be taking as we look to this Christmas and holiday season. And finally, we will talk about what to expect from this coming flu season when the pandemic might become endemic and why getting back to normal might be more complicated than we think. So I caught up with Dr. Nicola Mercer late last week via Zoom. Okay, Dr. Nicola Mercer, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Adam. I want to ask about just the non-COVID question first, which is about flu season, because um, public health did put out a press release about the first influenza case of the year, which is something I don't ever remember happening before. But um, can you give it, I mean, do you have a sense? I mean, one case you can't really make too much from, but, uh, you know, from your understanding 
of past flu seasons and, you know, expectations and all that. I mean, what kind of flu season can we expect? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, the first uh, flu case that we got was actually imported from another country. Oh. I'm not, not completely unusual. I mean, flu gets here somehow, right? We just happen to know that in this case. Um, but as I look to this flu season, I, I really have to look around the world and say, well, what's happening in other countries and could that happen to us? What we are seeing is a bit of a resurgence in respiratory viruses in general. Mm. Um, and I think some of that's probably to be expected. So we all basically had a whole more than a year of very low contacts uh, within with people. And so we saw like almost anything here. Probably if you think back to yourself, did you have a cold last year? I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because if we're all being extremely careful with public health measures, we were just being very safe. What's going to happen this year? I, I think if our if you keep wearing masks in situations where you you know you're around people and you keep washing your hands, uh, I think by and large we'll uh, you, you should be safer than in a regular season when we're not mask wearing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, recognizing that uh, there is a uh, certainly uh, a large amount of uh, naive people, meaning our immunity to. <laughs> viruses is, has uh, worn off so it is possible definitely possible to to uh, see a worse respiratory virus season than normal um i guess part of that would be to encourage everyone to make sure they get their flu shot i mean that that didn't seem to be an issue last year but it, it might be might be an issue this year people may have more relaxed feelings about being flu conscious after a year without much flu yeah, I think that the flu shot is what I call one of those general health measures that we should all do every year. I, I know a lot of people don't don't want to hear that. They, ah, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm, uh, it's not going to be a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've ever had the flu, you recognize how big a deal it is when you get it. Sure, you're probably going to be fine if you're young. But frankly, most of us don't want to spend four or five days, um, you know, sort of at home on our backs, like feeling really awful, usually at the most inconvenient time of the year, like probably over Christmas or something like that, or, you know, that special event that you want to go to. So I get my flu shot because I just don't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's as simple as it is. And, and your, our, my flu shot, annual flu shot helps keep me as safe and helps prevent me from having that potential, you know, five day, four day, uh, illness usually quite a you know a nasty illness in the middle of my winter right and people can sign up now to make an appointment to get their flu shot in at at public health well they can do that or they can go to a pharmacy too and and Mm -hmm. go to your family doctor so there's Mm -hmm. lots of channels to get a flu shot whatever's most convenient for you i just wanted to confirm that they are available right now and uh people can yeah yeah absolutely yeah perfect absolutely flu shots are available Looking to COVID-19, it seems like we've avoided the worst case scenario for what the the science table was laying out for September and October. It even seems like we've avoided kind of the medium case scenario as well, although we did see kind of numbers bump up a little bit around the beginning of October. Um, In terms of what how, how you're seeing things, I guess, how are we doing right now in terms of cases? Well, certainly our area is, is generally doing very, very well. Um, I, I, I just want to 
remind people, though, that we still have, at least in Wellington, Dufferin Golf in our area, I think we still have around 32 or 3,000 people who are eligible. That means over 12, 12 and over, who are not vaccinated. So we still mm-hmm. have a fair number of people who are not vaccinated. But uh, despite that, for those of us who are fully vaccinated, um, we've seen our numbers come down. We do have cases. For the most part, they're in unvaccinated people. Most of those people who who um, are um, unvaccinated do fine, but our, our hospitals uh, still have um, predominantly unvaccinated people uh, in them. And the majority, the vast, vast majority of people in ICU are unvaccinated. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's factual. It's not, it's not made up. I know that there are people <laughs> who like to think that we make these things up, but then mm-hmm. those are just the, the numbers. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, it is a personal choice, um, but it's not a matter of um, if you'll get COVID, it's a matter of when you will get COVID. And, and then, you're, you know, rolling the die as to what that's, what is that going to do for you and or your family, the people that you give it to when you get it. Mm-hmm. I would add too that I, you could count on one hand the number of times I've seen an interview with somebody in an ICU with COVID who has said uh, if they had a chance to do it all over all over again, they would do the exact same thing and not get a vaccine. Pretty much everyone's a, co- a convert to vaccines once they've had COVID. Oh, once they've had COVID, they said that they if they were doing if they if they were going to do it all over again, they would get a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you because just like me with flu, you know, I, I years and years ago before vaccines were available, I had flu when I was an intern. I was young, I was healthy, and after spending, I think it was four or five days, just completely flat on my back, ill. <laughs> I thought, you know, if there's a way of avoiding this, like that little tiny little pinch once a year, I, I'm not doing this again. Like I, I care about my health, and so that was that's what it took for for me, and I think for um, for many people. Uh, hopefully for COVID, you don't need to end up in an ICU to, to figure out that this is a bad disease and, you know, a needle will mm-hmm. protect you and it's safe. We've had six and a half billion, billion vaccines given mm-hmm. out across the world. So that's just a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of a vaccine trial. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly historic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, going back to the numbers, you know, you mentioned it was when I looked at the number this morning, it was like 34, 35. So, you know, less than three dozen mm-hmm. cases in the region. We did see kind of a spike a couple of weeks ago where we were in and around the the 100, the neighborhood of 100 cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we know what was kind of behind that spike and why we kind of just shot up and then came back down again? Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably a number of factors. And I think what you're referring to is um, in the uh, beginning, middle of September-ish around there. Is that when, mm-hmm. yeah. when the spike occurred? So I, I, to be honest, one of the big factors was uh, uh, the, the movement of young adults across the province. So with colleges and universities and you know, tech schools, all of them, you know, the, and uh, the, everything happens at the beginning of September, right? Kids go back to school as well. So we had a large number of people movement, people moving all around the province to go back to school or to, um, or, and then after that, kids go back to high school. And a lot of times, sometimes kids are moving high schools too. People move. Mm. Often people move uh, before kids go back to school too. So, so it's probably multifactorial, but we definitely saw uh, an increase at that time. Um, remembering, of course, that throughout September, the end of August, we're continuing to vaccinate, continuing to try to get everybody double dosed, and uh, uh, certainly as our, you know, especially our colleges and universities, 
have uh, got their vaccination numbers up really high. You know, most places are 97, 98% fully vaccinated on campus. Those are great numbers. And, and guess mm. what? We haven't seen a lot of cases since we got the numbers up. So mm-hmm. the, the two go hand in hand. Vaccines do work. And for people who try to say that they don't, I think the evidence is pretty overwhelming that they do work. Right. And maybe further anecdotal proof of that is um, we did not see any spikes coming off of uh, all the all the homecoming um, parties, uh, all the street parties, and also um, all those university students you mentioned going back and forth to home for Thanksgiving. We didn't see the bump as much after like we didn't see that after thanksgiving so i and i think again what like what what's different about going home for thanksgiving versus you know moving in september i i think probably uh you know there's a number of factors is that you're probably not having quite as many social gatherings um around thanksgiving in Mm. um, you know the larger gatherings um maybe more people being vaccinated maybe people just being a little bit more careful and you know there's still exams you know Thanksgiving often is tied to midterms. Yeah. So some people are being more studious. You know, I, I don't have a, I don't have the exact answers, but you know, I could just uh, tell you it's it. This disease is a respiratory virus. It goes person to person. So it's people's behaviors uh, that allow this virus to spread, and you has to find willing hosts. So it has to find unvaccinated hosts um, or partially vaccinated hosts. Uh, in order to rapidly go person to person. And so when those so those kind of collide, then we, we get outbreaks in cases. Mm-hmm. So um, looking into the crystal ball a bit, uh, what advice are, are you thinking about for people, you know, visiting relatives or visiting old friends or around the holiday season, given um, that it seems to be these gatherings that seem to be the the petri dish by which the 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 virus spreads i I think the most challenging thing for most families is going to be about what to do with the social gatherings when you have uh one or two people that are vaccinated i mean Mm -hmm. really isn't that the crux of the problem and if you go into a restaurant we're already quote gathering you Mm -hmm. go to a restaurant everybody has to show proof of vaccination you know, I'll go in, you can sit at a table, you can have, I don't know, 10 people at a table, everybody's vaccinated. Uh, we're allowing that right now, and we will right up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. But when you go to somebody's house, you know, and Aunt Susie and her son show up, and neither of them are vaccinated, that creates something that is not happening in our restaurants or in our other environments. Is mm. These individuals... That, that's not what is happening in the restaurants, right? We don't allow unvaccinated people. And we say, oh, you have to sit on the patio, at least right now. Right. Um, so I think that's a tough situation because um, in families, I, it, people want to avoid conflict. They don't want to exclude people. And yet, I think most people, especially families where the majority of people are fully vaccinated, they recognize that this is a problem and they're mm-hmm. not quite sure how to deal with it. And, and you know, I don't have an answer for that. Because, you know, I mean, the simple answer is, well, do it outside. Well, yeah, we can't really at Christmas. You know, if we lived in Australia, maybe we could. Um, but we can't in Canada. Um, and the second thing is, well, don't invite them. Well, that might be a problem, too. Um, what about, you know, sometimes blended families where, you know, some one partner isn't and one is. 
So I, I would say that these are challenging up times, perhaps, and I think that's a little bit of a perhaps, perhaps people who are unvaccinated, um, the very least I would think that they would screen uh, you know, d- please don't attend if you have any of these symptoms. Can you at least do a symptom screen? Maybe mm. in some families, they'll do a rapid test. Yeah, mm. test, you know, I did a pan bio this morning and, and I'm negative. You know, protect the people that you can. You certainly don't want to, you know, you know, have COVID uh, as a result of your Christmas dinner, for example. And, and so, but, it, but outside of the unvaccinated, outside of the, the fact that our, our, our numbers are still going to be really quite low. I'm encouraging mm. people to focus on what we can do rather than what we can't. So yes, we together. You know what, if you're having a party, though, unfortunately, we're all going to probably be wearing masks. Uh, you know, try and limit your, you know, try and know your biting symptom screen. You know, it's, some of the public health measures are with us for a while yet. But mm-hmm. we're getting together this Christmas and we certainly weren't able to do that last year. So, so that's a, that's a blessing. Yes. And uh, if you're thinking about gathering outside, I think the, the farmer's almanac is uh, predicting a very brutal winter. So that uh, makes it almost uh, further questionable. <laughs> um, so I, I guess a lot of this is common sense. Cause I was going to say like, what are like, I was going to ask you about what like the rest of the fall and maybe when we come around to the new year is going to look like, but I mean, a lot of this is going to have to be managed through just like continued pandemic precaution, common sense, the things we've been doing this whole time, mask wearing distance, hand washing, uh, get vaccinated when and if you can. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. Today I was asked, but what do you think about Halloween trick or treating? And I'm like, you know, I, I think the biggest risk to your kids trick-or-treating this year is, you know, making sure they don't get hit by a car, like, you know, <laughs> where, you know, keep them safe, you know, just be, be mindful of that. Like, you know, I do know COVID is out there, but in general, it's an outdoor activity. It's fleeting interactions. The kids are running, you know, house mm-hmm. to house. It's in general, a very, a fairly safe activity. And, and I think, I just don't want to be the, the Grinch that steals everybody's fun. I want, to, I want to concentrate on the things that are the really important things, which like if you're having a Halloween party in your house, you know, as opposed to going with your kids trick-or-treating, those are different scenarios. You know, if you're having a big Halloween party, you, know, you might want to know who's vaccinated. You might want to keep yeah. a list of who's attended. You might want to think about that. That's, an, that's the kind of scenario uh, that is actually more likely end up in an outbreak and in, with a problem so uh, that's how I look at it you know, let's let's concentrate on the things that are really the you know really gonna make a difference gotcha so it sounds like we're kind of entering a phase and and maybe you could lend some some scientific insight into this people have been looking for an end to the pandemic but I think what we're kind of realizing more and more is that COVID will be something we'll have to live with to a degree for, you know, months and years to come. So I guess when we're looking at what, at at what point does this stop being a pandemic and when does it start being like endemic? When does it start being that thing that we just live with? And maybe we start lifting like things like state of emergencies and all these other sort of formal uh, labels. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, that the pandemic started with a with a bang. You know, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, travel advisories: come home, stay home. 
you know, all this, it was a, it was a very dramatic start. And it's not going to be like that. The mm. hen's going to be like, when did it end? You know, like a little, a little whimper, a little like, like when was the exact date? I suspect we will be debating this, you know, historically in the future. We'll say, well, when do you think the pandemic of 2020, 21 ended? Right. Because, because it's going to be very hard to define it. We will be able to, and we'll have cases that will, you know, that we count. But remember that there's always the other part of this that we don't actually know about all cases. We know about the people mm. that go out and get tested. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm well aware that there are groups, especially some of my very vaccine resistant or anti-mask groups that they tell everybody, don't get tested, whatever you do. If you have symptoms, don't get tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we only know about their cases when they show up in hospital. So within um, the province of Ontario, the numbers of cases that we see each day are not uh, are really the tip of an iceberg. And I just don't know how much is underneath the the, the water. But what I can tell you is that uh, it will eventually fizzle out to something that hopefully one day we won't, we won't be getting daily COVID reports, but we will hear about for a long time to come. You know, long term mm-hmm. care homes sadly may have an outbreak or a church group or a, you know, a wedding or a funeral or, a, you know, some kind of social gathering where people, um, where they're is a large number of people together. Those are the kind of settings where I think in the future we might see COVID outbreaks. And for all of us, and as we move into our COVID future, mm. I, I suspect it will look something like what we do with flu. You know, so you know, yeah, I I will have my annual COVID and flu shot because I don't want to get either. As I started off this this interview, so I have my flu shot because I don't want to get sick. Well, right. Next next year might be I'm having my COVID. And my flu shot because I just don't want to get sick. I guess the next piece of this is um, when young people, when kids under 12 can start getting back. I mean, I realize that some young people who are 11 whose birthdays are in 2009 are getting shots right now. But um, for the younger kids, it seems like just watching the news today, the FDA in the United States is close to this a decision in the uh, the CDC um, that will probably start kind of a domino effect with other jurisdictions like Canada making some approvals. I, so, I mean, this kind of seems inevitable at this point. So let me look at it from this way, which is how quickly can public health uh, open, uh, open the shot eligibility to uh, kids in school? Yeah, this is a great question, and uh, and, and something I spoke about uh, at uh, just after one o'clock today on on, on my uh, my TV slot. <laughs> uh, realistically, what I can tell you is children's doses are coming soon, much sooner than I thought that they were going to come. Mm. Um, I'm anticipating the vaccines coming into Canada fairly soon. Like we're talking weeks, not months, and so we're all going to hear about you know vaccines coming for children. And how soon can we get it rolled out? What, what I can tell you is that I've, um, not myself, but my staff, actually myself as well, we've been, I, I've been meeting with our family health teams locally, as well as our Ontario health team. And primary care is getting ready. Like they're getting ready to deliver shots for children. They're creating clinic spots. They're figuring out, uh, they, you know, when and who and where, because the majority of children are rostered in our area to primary care providers. And so we want those children to have access to the vaccine. So not all kids will 
go through primary care, but I, I think that you're going to find that the vast majority of children uh, will be offered a COVID shot. The parents may decline, but the, you know, we will be offering it via a primary care family health team model um, in November. Okay. Wow. And will that be, um, I mean, I mean, during the general rollout, it was big clinics at, you know, the West End Rec Center, the Sportsplex in Fergus. Um, I guess, what, what will the rollout itself look like? Will this be like built around? Because, you know, the kids are already in a big building five days a week anyway. So it, does this become something that you're working through the schools to do? Or is they're going to have to come down to public health, uh, the office itself, I guess? What's the logistics? Well, there, there will be different models, but it won't look the same mm. as an adult model. And, uh, you know, I just want to, if, if you're able to remember, perhaps where, when you got your, your COVID shot, uh, certainly, uh, I, I, I was present in a number of our arenas, our places, and you could hear a buzz, but it was quiet and people <laughs> were ordered and, you know, people, you know, walk through and, uh, but it, it was fairly, you know, you could hear a, a gentle buzz of people chattering, but that was it. Mm. Well, if you've ever been in a, a, you know, a flu shot clinic that's had a lot of children in it or during H1N1 many years ago, but, uh, we had, uh, we were giving a lot of vac- flu vaccines at that time to children. It was pandemonium, <laughs> and we don't give we don't give vaccines to kids in the schools below grade seven, and there's a reason for that, and that's because there have been times when we have done, but many parents want to be present when their children are there, especially in the mm-hmm. younger grades, limiting access to schools right now, um, and really the majority of children, and majority of children up until this point in time have always received their vaccine through their primary care providers um, office mm-hmm. so it's going to look different in different places but uh, um, Guelph is uh, we're, you know we have a mall presence we have uh, two storefronts in the mall and so we're trying to think what that might look like who knows maybe you'll sit in Santa's lap and you'll get, a, you'll get your little your little shot at the same time I, I'm joking about that I don't want to associate COVID vaccines with sitting in Santa's lap but but I think recognizing that uh, children are different and that children um, have different needs and often their response to vaccinations is quite different from adults. It's noisy, it's often crying. And in order to minimize the, the trauma or the fear of the children down the line, mm. then you, you have to think about doing it a little bit differently. So, so that's what, that's our approach. And uh, it is uh, being, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to work on this throughout our area. So clinics are set up. A lot of them, as I said, it will look different. Uh, different mm. family health team models will, depending on the numbers of kids that they have, uh, will uh, look look a different. But it, it's not going to be quite the same as those big, you know, where we put you know thousands of people through a day in a clinic. That given that, you know, the the phone lines and I. I remember talking to your staff about this, like the phone lines were slammed uh, with sort of each new cohort that was released. Um, are, are you prepared as public health prepared for like uh, the, the, the anticipation, the eagerness for parents uh, to get uh, their kids uh, their shots? Like, are, are you just ready for the deluge? <laughs> well, we know exactly how many kids we have, 23,500. So we've already looked at our numbers. And I guess the first question is, how many parents want it done yesterday? 
compare parts of the county of Wellington where we have lower vaccination rates. So I suspect the children's vaccination um, uptake will reflect what's happening in, in parents. So as I uh, think about what, what we're planning for, we're, we, we believe that we should plan for 70% upfront. Uh, I think that's giving us some wiggle room. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, remain, the remainder will be people who think about it, but eventually do get their children vaccinated. So that, that's our plan. That's our base. And then how do we accomplish that? And right now we're working through our primary care. So the concept being that primary care providers uh, in some parts of our area, every, every bell is a bit different, will begin calling their families and saying, hey, we're offering uh, COVID shots on the state for your children. Uh, do you want to make an appointment? It might be you know, weeks down the road. It's not, not definitely not next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we... Uh, and then maybe we'll get people booked in so that parents don't need to look and find uh, their appointments. And so, and, and and also we'll be distributing vaccine to pharmacies as well. And public health will also have some uh, clinics for harder to reach populations, uh, areas up where they can't access primary care. So we will definitely have uh, have a, a coverage for for everyone. I. I realize that um, I, I don't know how much information you have access to in terms of um, how the vaccine is is taken by kids in the in in some of the the clinical trials that the drug companies have done. Is is there any like information you have about what kids can or what kids and parents can expect if they when they get the vaccine? Um, you mean in terms of uh kind of side effects potentially or how well yeah. the vaccine works uh, oh yeah um, i think you'll see this very sim- similar to to all um, to all vaccines um the the first thing is is that some kids complain of pain at the site some adults do too i mean that's always uh you know we do have to deliver the vaccine via a very small needle but it's still it's still a needle through the skin so that's a common one um often children have low-grade fevers with vaccines that's a really common one doesn't matter what the vaccine is i think every parent who's ever immunized their kids knows that you know that sometimes happens they get flushed or get a fever um, sometimes feel a little aches and pains or a little bit what we call those myalgias little muscle aches and those are very common ones but the the probably what the, what most parents in their mind want to know is what's the risk of something really serious happening and what i can tell you is these vaccines we stay and forget that we're not giving your child a vaccine to prevent something that is very unlikely to happen to them, we're team to prevent something that is actually very likely to happen. If your children are not vaccinated, then they're COVID. And COVID itself has many um, side effects. People uh, die from COVID. The piece about, you know, COVID is bad. It- I, I, I just feel like we need to underline this because in, in so much as let's say vaccine hesitant people are concerned about like what are the long-term effects of the vaccine uh, we don't know what the long-term effects of getting COVID are either like that, no, that, well, that we, we actually have some inclination of what the long-term effects of COVID are because we have people who develop long COVID right? it's, it's not that we're we think that, you know, you get it, you recover, and off you go. We're still gathering information, but brain fog is, 
you know, unfortunately, a, a well-documented thing seems to be a little bit more common in people who have it more severe than less severe, but definitely well-documented. Um, certainly um, impaired cardiac function, uh, especially younger males, myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, you know, for athletes, it's, this is from getting COVID. So this is not a benign disease. Uh, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't want to get it. Um, and so <laughs> that's why I think it's important as a parent, you know, like my children are vaccinated, but my children are a little bit older now. They were, they were teenagers, but I, I really believe that if my kids were under 12, that I would not hesitate to have vaccinated them because I just don't want them to get COVID because as much as parents are afraid of the vaccine, they should be afraid of the disease. Yeah. And the other thing, because I don't have kids of my own. So I just out, out of my own curiosity, I, I went to uh, Health Ontario's website to see what the schedule of vaccines are. And kids get a lot of shots before they're even one years old. <laughs> yep. It's, it's kind of shocking the laundry list of shots we give uh, kids almost as soon as they're born. <laughs> Well, people think to, and they often say, "Oh, is it you know, is it hard on them, you know, to have so many vaccines?" What I think people fail to recognize that our bodies are just constantly seeing new things, new uh, whether it's a virus or bacteria. We're constantly being exposed to things in our environment, uh, many, many times, many more than what we would see vaccines, and say, "Oh, yep, that's a that's a friend. Oh no, that's a foe. We got to." do something to, to about that and develop an antibody to that. Our bodies are just meant to protect us. And mm. so the, the vaccines that we give may feel like a lot, but really what we're doing as we give our children tetanus shots and measles, mumps, rubella shots and all of the other shots is, is helping them to live longer, healthier lives. Right, right, right. I wanted to just quickly address um, something that came up at the school board uh, the other night. And I mean, it, it struck me as there were two delegates and they were clearly, shall we say, skeptical of the efficacy of masks, masks to put things politely. But they were also concerned about things like having the kids separated in cohorts. Um, like one group gets to play on the swings one day and another group gets to play on swings the other day. Um, they were also concerned about how kids having lunch together and you know what at the time when they're like unmasked but they love to talk and talk to each other laugh and yell and do the things that kids do so they get uh, a lot of what the teachers are apparently doing in this one school is is bringing the screens out and uh, showing the kids a video or something I guess um I I do understand these concerns a bit more than just being anti-mask in general but I mean can you talk a bit about sort of uh, I guess maybe the immediate future of schools, like if we start rolling out these vaccines, when might kids be able to get a little bit more um, relaxed restrictions once they, they sort of start getting vaccinated? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, like I've already hinted, vaccines are coming very soon for children, like very soon. And, you know, I think it's weeks, it's not months. Um, but also your child will need two doses. So mm. you'll need to get one hopefully in the next in a few weeks that are coming up. Um, and then you'll need to wait an interval. And I actually don't know what that interval is going to be. I, I do know that the preferred interview interval is eight weeks. Um, the manufacturer says four, but we have enough data now to show that uh, you know eight weeks is the preferred interval. But 
However, mm. I don't know what is going to be uh, decided uh, provincially balancing many factors. Mm. So let's just pretend it's even if it's four weeks, you know, you have to wait for your vaccine, then you have to wait another four weeks, and then you have to wait two weeks after that, to, after your four weeks and get your second shot in two weeks, and then you're fully immune. So however we slice and dice this, uh, <laughs> we're still looking at middle to end of January at the earliest for children starting to be fully vaccinated in schools. Mm. And, and then uh, on top of that, you know, some parents are not going to choose right away to mm. have their child um, vaccinated. So what do I see happening in schools? Yeah, I do think that we will eventually get to a, a relaxation of a lot of measures. I, I personally don't think we're going to relax our masks in schools mm. for a little while yet. And, and truthfully, of all of the things that we do in schools, uh, that's the one that I don't think the parents like it, but I can see most of the kids just wear them. And Hey, let me be with my friends and let me do all the things that I want to do. Um, and I'll just wear the mask. Uh, we, it is probably the least invasive and intrusive measure to prevent a respiratory virus from spreading, mm-hmm. right, you know, is, is the use of masks. Um, but once we get um, everybody double vax, once we know what our immunization rate is amongst kids, um, right now, you know, if your child's unvaccinated and there's a case in the classroom, then we have to send them home. But if your child's vaccinated, uh, they can stay in school. Mm-hmm. So we are treating kids a little differently now, depending on their vaccination status. That will continue. I'm quite confident in that. And we'll just have to uh, wait and see how long masking stays in place. But I, I think if you think to yourself, it's probably here for this school year. Mm. Uh, and if it ends early, that's a good thing. But if it's you know, at least if you get your head around that, it, it's it's probably here uh, longer um, than even um, adult mask mandates. It's sort of to bring us full circle to, uh, you know, that anticipated explosion of new cases um, that the science table was worried about was sort of based on school being back in session. And I mean, that, that's not to say there hasn't been COVID in schools. There certainly has been. But uh we have avoided the explosion, probably in large part because of, you know, adults with vaccinations, the high school students with vaccinations and uh, the kids, you know, at school wearing their masks. Yeah. And cohorting helps too. Yeah. Right. So, so that if you, if we get a case in a school or what we have done, obviously, is that we, you know, we, we know kind of where to, okay, this child belongs in this circle or this cohort of people and so we send that group home or we look at that group and knowing that uh, the rest of this school is safe. Um, that, that's really the only reasonable thing to do to try and keep the majority of kids in school. I, I know there are parents who don't like that. Um, mm. They want their kids to be able to socialize with whoever they want. But frankly, the other parents, if your <laughs> child ends up getting COVID, you, the, other, the parents who you don't, who you, you know, if you have an extensive social circle, you're impacting a lot of people. They may not appreciate it that mm-hmm. their kid has to, go out of school because your, you know, your child is, is involved in many cohorts. So yes, it's going to end. Like I, you know, next year, school year will look very different. Uh, no doubt about that. But uh, it's just, I just, you know, we just need a little bit more time. We've done so well. We're getting to the right place, keeping people safe, but we just need just a little bit more time. Yeah. I don't know about everyone else, but I always remember the, my, my school friend who gave me the chicken pox, it was Tina Quayle. And I was over at her house one day and the next day she had chicken pox. And a few days later, I had chicken pox. So um, 
I can't I imagine if there's someone in your class who comes to school with COVID, it's maybe a bit of the same. Well, especially if they come to school symptomatic, right? I mean, yeah. we have had circumstances where, you know, back in the back in the day, like I mean, before COVID, it would probably not have been completely out of the picture for some parents to, you know, given their kids some Tylenol, set them off to school. Right. Uh, but you know, we can't do that nowadays. Uh, when I think most people realize that most people would never do that, but uh, still, we're really, really trying hard to. Uh, prevent people from going to work sick and that means don't go to school sick either stay the course yeah exactly all right good message and uh good conversation dr nicola mercer thank you so much for all of your time today oh you're most welcome Adam. and once again that was dr nicola mercer if you're listening to this on wednesday november 3rd there is a board of health meeting later today For all things COVID-19, including the pending announcement about vaccines for children under 12, or to learn more about when and how you can get your flu shot, you can go to the public health website at wdgpublichealth.ca, or you can follow them on Twitter at wdgpublichealth, all one word. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram and send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can do that by going to guelphpolitico.ca slash donate and checking out that information there. For all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.